Welcome to Bravado. I'm Molly McCann Sanders. We are recording today on Tuesday, January 17th. Today we're going to be talking about Biden and his classified documents debacle. That is obviously the top of the news. We're also going to touch briefly on some vaccine issues that are starting to hit the news more often now in our legal section. We will stay on vaccines and talk about briefly the mask mandate appeal that is ongoing. And then finally, we will close, as always, with a mailbag. So hopefully you've been following the Biden classified documents uh, scandal. The background, very briefly for for everyone, is that right before the midterms, apparently, Joe Biden's personal attorneys found classified documents in his Penn Biden office in D.C. And they also found classified documents at a home in Delaware owned by A. Biden. I say A. Biden because it's not entirely clear if the home is owned by Joe Biden or Hunter Biden, or at least at the time the documents uh, were brought to the House, perhaps it was owned by Hunter Biden. We'll get to that in a bit. But in any event, they kept this quiet until now, which in itself is something I think that has raised red red flags and made people wonder, wonder what's what's going on here. And obviously, everyone's thinking, what is what's happening here? Why? Why now? And why this scandal it feels it feels a little strange. I do think without a doubt that the left is ready to push Biden off the boat. Uh, I do not think that they plan to have Joe Biden as their candidate for 2024. I'm imagining someone more like Gavin Newsom will take the helm. We'll see. But I I think that Biden has reached the end of his usefulness for the left. And I feel, although I don't have all of the data or evidence, I feel like this is part of a an acceleration in pushing Biden off the bus. We've already seen, frankly, in the last six months, we've seen various news stories and various comments that have suggested that the left is tiring of Biden or getting ready to the point where they're ready to start criticizing him and and tossing him. So this feels like just a a massive acceleration in what we've already been noting. But uh, you'll also note that amongst all of the lefties and maybe your liberal friends, everyone is trying to compare this to Donald Trump's classified document issue down at Mar-a-Lago and explain why they're not the same they're not the same at all. You know, the, these are not the same scenarios. And I think it's important for everyone, obviously, to have quick responses to that when you're out and about with friends. Obviously, Trump was president of the United States when he took the classified documents to Mar-a-Lago. The president has the power to declassify documents. And there is a, in my opinion, very sound legal case to make that by taking the documents to Mar-a-Lago, those documents are presumptively declassified by the president. That's not an argument I think that's been made in court yet, but I think I think it's been floated several places, and I think it's a very good one. But certainly he was the president with power to declassify. Biden was just the vice president. No such power. Secondly, Trump held his documents at a secure location at Mar-a-Lago under Secret Service protection. And Biden left his at an office building in D.C. and in a garage in Delaware, neither of which had Secret Service protection or uh, surveillance and the like. And finally, people like to talk about the fact that the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago and the FBI, quote, didn't have to raid any of Biden's locations. And Biden is cooperating with the FBI and the DOJ, whereas Trump is not. And that's just... That's ridiculous, as if to suggest that the fact that the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago is evidence that Trump 
that Trump's behavior was worse than Biden. No, it's that's evidence that the deep state, the FBI and the DOJ are hopelessly corrupt and that there is a double standard. There's a standard that we apply to Donald Trump and a standard we apply to Republicans. And then there's this whole other standard that we apply to to the left, to Joe Biden and people of his ilk. So that is certainly not some gotcha final point that the left can make. If anything, it just underscores how deeply corrupt, how deeply corrupt uh, the deep state is and our agencies have become. And it's a real travesty. So we'll see. Um, we'll see how this plays out. Speaking of the deep state, the the special counsel that they appointed to look into Donald Trump and um, the Mar-a-Lago situation is Jack Smith. I'm not sure we've talked about him. I don't think we've talked about that um, on this podcast before, but Jack Smith is an absolute vicious attack dog for a special counsel. He has a long history in working in parts of the DOJ that are particularly corrupt. And he, he prosecuted Bob McDonnell, the former Virginia governor. And ultimately, that case was taken all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court overturned the conviction of Bob McDonnell. But it, you know, in the process, it was just a, just a vicious attack on McDonnell and his family. They charged both McDonnell and his wife. Bob McDonnell told people that you know, his children were targeted by the prosecutors and told, you know, frightened and told if they spoke to their parents on various things, it could be obstructing justice. You know, just the usual ugly, thuggish tactics that have obviously been been in play for some years, but that we that we've really seen develop in in just the past few years or come out really into the open from the FBI and the DOJ. So we know that Smith is, in my opinion, a dirtbag and 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 as I say, a vicious attack dog. And then people turn and they say, well, Robert Hur is the special counsel who's been appointed by Merrick Garland to look into uh, Joe Biden. Now, Robert Hur is recently of uh, Gibson Dunn, but he has a long career in the Justice Department, and uh, his his affiliation with Gibson Dunn is not what you will see mentioned. If you look at any article about him as special counsel, they'll say Robert Hur, and the resume mile marker they mention is the fact that he was the U.S. Attorney for Maryland under Trump, so he was a Trump appointee. And somehow I think we're supposed to think, okay, great, we've got Jack Smith investigating Trump. So more left investigating right. And now we've got right investigating left, her investigating Joe Biden. But Robert Hur has been described to me both as a protege and as a friend. So two different descriptions I've heard, protege and friend, of Chris Ray and Rod Rosenstein. So make of that what you will. I know what I'm thinking when I hear that. Chris Ray is a snake and Rod Rosenstein turned out to be a little better. So that's not that's not a positive in my mind. One of the problems that we had during the Trump administration is how many people who were frankly anti-Trumpers, middle of the road and possibly even leaning left, how many of those people ended up with really prestigious appointments throughout the administration. And that was that was partly just the nature of the campaign. It was a scrappy campaign. They were underdogs. We weren't ready in some sense to win. We were just we were just trying to win. We weren't really prepared for the win and for implementing the full administration. And unfortunately, as I wrote in an op-ed several years ago, when Trump finally did win, he was immediately surrounded by anti-Trump and establishment rhino types 
who just wanted to take advantage of that win. And so uh, the White House was staffed up with people who were just there to enhance their resumes. And we saw that in the January 6th committee. And then, as I say, across the nation, those are a lot of positions to fill. And so you sort of have to rely on the recommendations of the people around you to appoint these people. And it was just it was just a huge windfall for all sorts of people who did not support the America First MAGA movement, were not pro-Trump, and have not stood beside us since then. So just because someone's a Trump appointee, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't tell me that they're pro-America First. It doesn't tell me that they're MAGA people. It doesn't tell me they like Trump. And it, it doesn't tell me anything about their position on you know, the rule of law or the future of this country. I just know that they're someone who got lucky and advanced their careers on the backs of the America First movement and our hard-won victory. And, uh, you know, if we take the White House again, I've said this before, and we'll have to keep thinking about it, but we really have to pay attention to the people who are staffing these key positions, especially at the White House, in the top administration positions in the administration, and then in these prestigious U.S. attorney government roles across the nation. We need to find good, solid people. They don't have to have the best resume. That's another problem Trump had. He's so focused on, um, you know, the Harvard, Yale resume we need we need to look for people whose resumes show that they love America. And uh, certainly you can have people from Harvard and Yale who also love America, but more likely than not, we're going to need to push a little deeper into the pool of talent to find people who have the guts to stand up for the United States in these tough times. Uh, and I'm, it's not clear to me that Robert Herr is one of those people. I don't know. I can't say that for certain, but just, you know, I don't know him from Adam, but looking at his resume, there are a number of red flags, not the least of which is this fact that he is a protege friend or a mixture of both to Chris Ray and Rod Rosenstein. So we'll just have to see, as I say, how this plays out. But I think there's more going on here than meets the eye, and we're going to have to get more evidence as time goes on. Certainly the left is ready to dump Biden, but you'll also note Kyle Becker had a really very interesting substack in the last 24 hours. I'll put it in the show notes. And by the way, just a side note, I think what I'll start to do is I'll start to send, quote, the show notes, any links that I reference or points that I want to follow up on. I'll send that out in an email with a link to the podcast, to the show every week. So if you get onto substack and find the Molly McCann memo, you sign up there. I think I'll send the email out via that platform. Before, we used to put the show notes in the YouTube summary, but because I'm not doing a video podcast right now, at least for the next year, we'll, we'll have to find another way, and I think that's the best way to do it. In any event, Kyle Becker had an excellent podcast, and he highlighted how this whole classified document scandal has really close ties, again, to Hunter Biden and his laptop. And he pointed out that Hunter had close ties to this Penn Biden office space, and I'm just going to quote briefly from his substack. He said, on April 25th, 2016, an agent named Craig Gehring emailed Hunter with, quote, confidential notes from our meeting, according to a Fox News report. Gehring reveals that plans were discussed for the vice president after he left office. Quote, the Biden Institute of Foreign Relations at the University of Pennsylvania, the email read, focus on foreign policy. In addition to the institute at UPenn, the school has an existing office in D.C. that will be expanded to house a D.C. office for VP Biden. And Mike, Hunter, and Steve? Question mark. So the 
classified documents that were found at this Penn-Biden office space in D.C., that might have been an office space that was also office space that was Hunter Biden's office space. And then the second kind of interesting little tidbit was, I think, really uh, found by Miranda Devine. Natalie Winters has written an excellent article about the funding linked to this. And Becker brings it up in his Substack as well. And that is that Hunter claimed to actually own the house in Delaware where the documents were found in the garage. And the payment from Hunter Biden, the amount and and the source of that of that money was forty nine, almost fifty thousand dollars a month, just an insane amount of money, has uh, ties to the Chinese Communist Party. I'll put Natalie Winter's article in the show notes. So we have the two places that classified documents were found without any kind of you know, guard or security measures have very intimate ties with Hunter Biden. Of course, we all know Hunter Biden's connection with the communist, um, the communist Party in China. So it's very, very disturbing slash interesting. And as I say, I think that there's just there's more going on here than meets the eye. There could be more than one thing happening. As I say, I think one is certainly that the left is getting rid of Biden. But the details that will continue to come out of this scandal merit us paying close attention. I think there's a lot more to uncover. The second thing I want to talk about pretty briefly and maybe make this a more complete podcast later is the acceleration of news stories about COVID and the negative effects of the vaccine. I think we were all distracted by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which, by the way, I think was a deliberate distraction. But that kind of that shifted the news cycle radically to Ukraine, to Russia, to the to the energy crisis that flowed from that. And we've all been really caught up in that the these many months. But now, finally, we're kind of getting we're, we're calming down and more and more concerning data is coming out about reactions to the vaccine and how negative they are. And another substack that I read recently by Steve Kirsch, it talked about how the FAA has quietly changed the parameters for acceptable EKGs for airline pilots. And they are now essentially permitting people to fly who don't have what would have once been considered normal EKGs. And it's very, very alarming. He walks through very simply and clearly. One of the problems that I have with a lot of the information that's coming out about the vaccines is it can be very dense and confusing. And in our too long, didn't read society, it's very easy to just kind of click out and keep moving. But this substack by Kirsch is very, very good. And he really lays out a case for what he believes will ultimately prove to be uh, massive heart damage, not just to, of course, airline pilots, but across the U.S. population or across the entire world population of people who took these mRNA shots. And he, he goes through, he said, there's a lot of people who will be very upset when they realize the vaccine they took to reduce their chance of dying from COVID actually worked in reverse, making it, one, more likely that people will get COVID, two, be hospitalized from COVID and other diseases, three, die from COVID and other diseases, and four, you also have an excellent chance of getting a lifetime of heart damage for no extra charge. This is a very, very good, very, very good substack. I'm going to put it into the show notes, and I suggest you share it around, as I say, part, partly because it is such an easy, straightforward read, but he has interesting data, interesting studies, 
And people have been saying it for a couple of weeks now, but it, it seems like that dam is finally breaking and more and more people are waking up to the fact that something is radically and desperately wrong in our population. And maybe we'll finally be able to start to have a conversation on why that is and what the source is and whether or not that source is the vaccine, particularly as we start to hear these stories of how they want to inject our food supply with the mRNA vaccine. They want to start injecting beef and pork with it. Uh, I mean, this is this is some crazy stuff. So the American people, I know we've got a lot on our plate. We have election integrity. We have to secure the vote. We have to win in 2024 if possible. Uh, we have energy problems. It's just it's a world of trouble out there. But uh, this is just unfortunately one more thing we have to add to our list to pay attention to, start talking about, and uh, especially when it comes to the food supply, demand explanations and action against that because it's just we don't we still have no idea. Truthfully, we have no idea the full effects of the mRNA vaccine and the long term side effects. And what if if there anything like what we've seen in the short term, it's absolutely catastrophic. So keep an eye out for that. But as I say, I think I think the vaccine issue merits a full podcast, and I hope to do one on it soon. Speaking of the vaccines, let's just switch briefly to uh, today's legal update. And to le- today's legal update is about the Health Freedom Defense Fund v. Biden case. That is the mask mandate on public transportation. Now, we won this back in April when a district judge in Florida, Kat Kimball Mazel, she ruled she ruled against the mask mandate. Uh, she said the court concludes the mask mandate exceeds the CDC's statutory authority and violates the procedures required for agency rulemaking. Accordingly, the court vacates the mandate and remands it to the CDC. Now, at the time that she made that ruling, the airlines were already having so much trouble with the mask mandate. Remember, there there were a lot of confrontations with passengers. It was just it was ugly, and there was a sense when that decision came down that. It was kind of a few moment. I remember we were actually on a plane. We were boarding the plane when when the decision came down and they permitted us to um, take our masks off mid-flight. And there were cheers. I mean, people were so happy. And Twitter was full of the stories of people celebrating. So there's, so, there's really no public will. Certainly there's no majority public will to have a return of this mask mandate. And we, we kind of thought that the Biden administration would take the loss and just let it go, sort of gracefully retire from the court. But instead, they, they've they taken it up on appeal to the 11th Circuit, and it's taken quite a, quite a while for them to get through all of their briefing, but oral argument was held in this case either this morning or yesterday. In any event, the Health Freedom Defense Fund is arguing again that the CDC's interpretation of sanitation, which they they expanded the definition of sanitation to encompass uh, authority to mandate masks. And the Health Freedom Defense Fund is arguing that is obviously far too broad. And as they point out, and I quote, CDC's interpretation of sanitation could be used, for example, to authorize measures such as requirements for diet, exercise and good hygiene, vaccination mandates, or even the mandatory use of prophylactics to prevent the spread of venereal disease. The district court thus properly scrutinized CDC's argument regarding the power conferred by Section 361A under the Major Questions Doctrine. So it it is very interesting to me that the administration has pursued this case. And I do have to wonder if it is partially simply to attempt to 
maintain CDC's broad, insanely broad authority to do all these other things down the road. Because as you know, my theory is that COVID was a fantastic emergency for the left. They developed a lot of different tools to take our freedoms away. They tested things and the American public, the majority of the American public failed. Probably not most people who are listening to this podcast, but most people failed that test. And now they're going to use they're going to use the tools that they developed in COVID with other emergencies to take away more liberties. And obviously, I think that next emergency is climate. And if you think about these points that they make in the in the brief, sanitation could be used, for example, to authorize measures such as requirements for diet, exercise, good hygiene, uh, all, all of those things. If you think about everything that they're relating to climate now, climate change is having all of these negative impacts on our health and and vice versa. It's all this bizarrely intertwined world where everything comes down to climate. I, I, I do wonder if the administration is simply trying to maintain uh, the CDC's broad interpretation so that it can be used in future other issues, because it's just hard for me to imagine, even if they were to win, I just can't really see them. Re- I, I don't think the airlines would permit um, the reimposition of a mask mandate. I think it would just be very, very bad for business and they would have no appetite for it. But I don't know. So that one in front of the 11th Circuit, we'll have to wait for their decision. As I've mentioned on my Instagram and other places, there's no timeline that they have to follow. So we could get a decision from the 11th Circuit very quickly, or it could be months. It just depends on what's going on within the court. All right, finally, let's close with a mailbag. Again, I put up the Monday mailbag question on my Instagram at mall.mccann. At mall. Got a number of interesting questions. So one person asks, will the House promises be overcome in the Senate? Yes. So something I think it's important to remember, obviously, when we're watching this new Congress get rolling, yes, we have a slim majority now in the House, which is wonderful. But all of these different bills that are being proposed by conservatives and they say, you know, we just propose X, Y, and Z bill. Well, that's great. It's it's going to almost certainly die in the Senate. Even if it passes the House, it's not going to get through the Senate. So, I mean, happily, that works the other way. I'm sure you've probably all heard of a recent bill that that's on white supremacy. I covered that on my Instagram in the last few days, but it's on white supremacy and it wants to literally criminalize as white supremacist hate crime, uh, talking about anything that could be labeled white supremacy, which is quite broad, and including very specifically replacement theory. So it criminalized discussing replacement theory. Maybe the subject of a future podcast, but obviously that's not going to get through a Republican-controlled House. But uh, it works both ways. We're not going to be able to get most of these things through in the Senate. And therefore, it is very important not to let your legislators grandstand, essentially, by talking about all of the great bills they're introducing. They need to be also focused on areas where there's real power and authority, i.e. investigations with real teeth, as we talked about last podcast. One of them now needs to obviously be an investigation into this Biden classified document scandal, because I don't have full faith and trust in this attorney, Robert Herr, to actually do a thorough job and not just do a deep state cover up. (laughs) We don't know. I don't want to slur the man. Maybe he's a real patriot and we just didn't know it. But the the Congress 
the Republican-controlled Congress, there, there are things it can be doing that it doesn't need the Senate's approval for, and that should be the primary focus, and it's, we need to hold their feet to the fire on that. Someone says, what do you make of Joe Kent announcing his 2024 campaign? Well, as I as I mentioned, as I've mentioned in the past, it was a huge, huge disappointment that Joe Kent lost his race for Congress. He should be one of our stalwart conservative America first legislators in D.C. now. But he did say before the end of the year last year that he would be making an announcement in the new year about what he'd do next. And I was very interested to see what his next steps would be, because although he lost that race, I think it was probably stolen from him. He obviously is such an incredible leader for our movement. And I just wanted to know what his next steps would be and where he would find a place. He has announced that he will be running in 2024. I'm very happy. I'm very happy to hear that. It gives him, I just actually got a campaign email from him, like a fundraising email. I think it was this morning or yesterday. And he mentioned that by announcing so early, he can start to build his financial war chest to to make his campaign more successful in the future. And there's no doubt, unfortunately, in this day and age, money is a huge, huge issue in any political campaign. So I think that's great if you have extra finances to donate to Joe Kent, by all means do so. It certainly also continues to give him a platform, frankly, for the next two years. It, it, it He's running for Congress again. He can continue to crisscross the country as he did in the lead up to 2022 speaking. It's not like he was just he wasn't just fundraising and speaking in Washington state. He was all over the country. He came here to Dallas. He was in D.C. He was all over the place. Again, not just being a candidate for Congress, but being an America first leader generally. He's so articulate in discussing policies and the vision and future of our country. So uh, to me, it's a very, very shrewd move because not only will he build his war war chest, but it gives him that important platform that will benefit all of us. The one thing I would like to see from Joe Kent, though, is, again, it seems very suspicious to me that he lost. His poll numbers were very, very good. He was a very popular candidate, and it's just very strange to me that he lost. And I would love him to investigate that a little more. And if there was an issue there, it would be great if Joe Kent sort of took up the mantle of working toward election integrity as well. He might not want to get bogged down into that, but I'm just going to warn every single one of you, and this is this is a dark, a dark comment, but it's just not clear to me that we're going to win in 2024 if we do not secure the vote. And I think too many people are just like, it's just too much work or it's just not the most popular. And, and I've moved on from Joe Kent. I'm not talking about him now when I say too many people. I'm just thinking about this more generally. We have got to focus on that. As the grassroots, it has to be our primary focus. Relitigating lost elections and the like, at this point, there's no time for that. The only thing we have time for right now is to use the the state legislature's as they're in session right now and and next year, to pass the legislation necessary so that we can be certain that we have a fair vote in 2024. Or it's just not clear to me that we're going to pull it out. You know, you just can't repeat the same mistakes over and over again and expect to have a different outcome. That is the definition of insanity. So if there were if there were issues with the vote in Washington that contributed to Joe Kent's loss, it would be great if he would highlight those and uh, make it a campaign issue. Someone asks, uh, what do you think of the Damar Hamlin incident? Well, that kind of ties into the Steve Kirsch Substack article I mentioned earlier. I do think we're seeing more and more people just dropping dead. 
from people in their you know, young people, people in their 30s, people 40s, 50s, and people are starting to wake up. And the more of these very public and shocking deaths that we witness, the more the average American is going to start to ask questions. So I think it's tragic. I'm, I'm praying for all of these people. I'm praying for everyone who uh, took the vaccine either without knowledge or coerced into doing so, or, you know, just didn't fully understand the repercussions. We need to be praying for all of them, but we need to be demanding. We need to be demanding answers and accountability. And so I'm so happy that Damar Hamlin seems to be doing better. And hopefully that incident contributes to greater, greater awareness, not to use a a shallow word, but greater awareness of really what happened with the mRNA vaccine. Someone asks, what do you think about Mike Pence's book tour stopping at churches? Is he trustworthy? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. First of all, I have no problem with him stopping at churches if he wants to. Religion and Bible thumping seems to be his shtick. When I watched the January 6th hearings, all of his staff, it, it was clearly planned. They all were talking nonstop about the Bible, how they turned to the Bible throughout the day on January 6th, how... Pence was in the parking garage or something praying the Bi- praying from his Bible, etc. It just felt like this lawn commercial for his future presidential candidacy for everyone who just hasn't been paying close enough attention. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about prayer. I'm all about praying in hard times. But he is using it the way the Democrats go around and put on a Southern accent when they're in the South and then put on a different accent when they're in another part of the country. He's just trying to appeal to a certain segment of the base that does love the Bible and does love God and really values that in their leaders. And I just find it deeply hypocritical and kind of ridiculous. There was a point in the January 6th hearing where one of Pence's staffers was quoting the Bible and the lefty Democrat congressman up at the bench questioning him was quoting it back. They they were doing it together. They were it was a it was a circus and uh, kind of offensive. So I don't trust Mike Pence at all. I think Mike Pence is all about Mike Pence and climbing the ladder. I think he's as shallow as can be. I have a lot of thoughts about him, especially with respect to the Flynn case. But in my, in my opinion, he is no longer part of the America First MAGA movement. That is the core of the Republican Party now. He has no future. He needs to retire and, I don't know, write a book and make money, which I think he's already done. But he should not be seeking the presidency because we will reject him. All right. I think that will be it for today. Again, if you go to Substack and sign up for the Molly McCann memo. That's my subsec that I send out intermittently, not as much as I should. But I will start to send out a link to the podcast when it goes up, and I will include the various show notes that I have referenced throughout the show. So you can both keep track of when the podcast is coming out and get those get that extra data. Although, again, uh, I always appreciate if you actually are following on whatever platform you listen on, whether that's Apple or Spotify. And if you have time to give the give the show a five-star rating, that's always appreciated. And I really do appreciate your reviews as well. I will be back next week. I am Molly McCann Sanders, and this is Bravado. 